Hi. Close your eyes. It's time to discover what starting and growing your own business feels like. Whether your business is bed sheets or skincare or jewelry, Shopify's with you every step of the way. Hello. Now, open your eyes. Feel ready to start and grow your business with Shopify. You'll get the tools you need to nurture your growing business and feel the same satisfaction as listening to this ad. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Simply start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com/free22. shopify.com/free22. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18+ plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. What's going to happen? That seems to be the big existential question that will haunt humanity until our extinction. And here we are, just two iPad-addicted lunatics who are going to try to answer it in this podcast as best we can. I'm Evangelia. And I'm Emily. And welcome to What's Going to Happen. So where are we headed? What's going on? What happened already? (laughs) I don't know. That sounds like the string of questions that like runs through my head at night before I fall asleep and I just have like an anxious like little panic attack. (laughs) Usually mine start with, oh my God, what's that red spot? It's cancer. Mm, I get it. So your anxieties are more external and mine are a little more existential. Varies. It varies. varies. Yeah, it varies. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think a lot of mine are external too, but it starts existential and then I start becoming like really aware of how my anxieties are affecting my body. Like right now, I've been so anxious this week and I literally like got sick. I got myself sick. Yeah, I told you your body just kind of gave up. Yeah, I hate psychosomatic. It's just like so annoying. Why can't my body support my brain? That's, I mean... I got to love They're myself, in a toxic I guess. Relationship. They are in a toxic, a codependent toxic relationship. But I, I, at the same time, I think I have like this complex that I just don't think I can die. Like my frontal lobe is definitely not fully developed yet. So it makes sense. But at the same time, it, I just make like stupid. De- I'm a smart person who makes stupid decisions. I, yeah, same. I mean, but I think that's part of being young. Mm-hmm. I feel like I do reckless things, not because I think I'm not going to die, but because I think I'm like barreling towards it. Right. And therefore, I have to get it all out now because mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of time. You know, even though I'm young, I just think I'm going to get old and die tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't feel far away from death. And I don't want to be like immortal or anything. I just wish humans lived for like 500 years instead of 100. (laughs) Like a little bit longer. That's just like so fucked up though because imagine seeing five cycles of 100 years. Like I feel like that would really jade you like maybe within the first like 
100 years you'd find like the, the secret to life or maybe even 200. But then like, don't you feel like you'd start from square one again? It might just be proportional, just like a slow motion version maybe of the life we're living. I could spend 100 of those years just doing quaaludes. You can't because they don't I exist just, anymore. Yeah. I'll figure it out though. But you'll have, you time. Have, time to, have time to recreate quaaludes. Yeah. Right. But we procrastinate so much more now though. Think about like how much we'd procrastinate with 500 years. Like I said, I just want more time. Like, yeah. I don't know. You're probably right, though. So essentially, you have, like, YOLO fear. It's, like, YOLO perpetuated by anxiety. Right. You know what one way to mark the passage of time is? Mm -hmm. Everyone's favorite corporate money grab. Is it the television show The View? No, it's Trend Cycles. I'm your host, Megan McCain, but less fuckable. And she's <laughs> Jewish Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> So let's get into it. <laughs> um, I guess I, the way that I see trends is definitely in a visual, like rings on a tree. Each circle represents different, a different cycle. And on each circle, there's different points to represent like cultural resets or pivotal points in history that would influence the trends to come after it. For instance, one point might be a period of mass enlightenment and the following point would be a reaction to that. And in this case, it would be more of like a romantic era. Um, and a more aesthetic kind of capturing the nostalgia of a more like innocent pre-enlightened period. Um, then as knowledge expands and the ways we vehicleize enlightenment followed by nostalgia is still constant. And in fact, how these concepts are expressed will continue to take aesthetic influence from the smaller circle that preceded it. I don't know. That might have been too dense, but. No, because you, you know what? That actually really reminds me of my favorite essay of all time. Joan Didion, RIP queen, really outing myself as pretentious right now no, by saying this. Her essay, Slouching Towards Bethlehem, she has this quote where she says, anybody who thinks the hippie movement is all about drugs has his head in a bag. It's a social movement, quintessentially romantic, the kind that recurs in times of real social crisis. The themes are always the same, a return to innocence. And that's basically what you're saying. That is definitely a beautiful way of putting what I just said in a very verbose way. Well, she was a really good writer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, exactly. And I think the bigger the outer circles get, the more eras of trend cycles that happen, the further away from that like initial innocence that we're trying to capture we get. I feel like that on top of social media further accelerating everything is why trend cycles are becoming more and more rapid. Um, we're like frantically grasping for this return to innocence because innocence is, seems like it's vanishing in the distance. But I don't know, maybe there was just like never innocence to begin with. And maybe we just think like that times were simpler and simplicity equals innocence, but things seem to be getting more complicated. I don't know if that's actually true though. It's I, always been complicated. It's just like a different kind now, I guess. I think that we're more interconnected now, so it might seem more complicated. But, you know, honestly, I think that society is less bloody and gory than it used to be. True. I think we've got a cleaner thing going on. And I also think that the reason why trend cycles are getting more rapid is because of the increasing availability of knowledge just in general. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, they began to get more rapid with the advent of radio and television, and it right. just has sped up since because now we have social media. Yeah. No, yeah. And there used to be kind of like an oligarch in charge of what information was spread to like the masses. And that was based in academia. Um, even artists were part of the elite. Um, and there was just less content because content creators, content creators were restricted. And now that anybody can create and share anything, we're all like tweaking out because of the stimulus and... Um, 
It's a good thing, though, because representation has never been so peak and ideas have never been so democratic, I guess. That's a great point. But I feel like you just implied that the philosophers and religious leaders of the past were content creators. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly what I implied. You want to know who the original content creator was, kids? Mm -hmm. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Right. Jesus right, Christ was the original content creator. Moving past that, what do you- I know you want to move past that. I do, because I, I do. What <laughs> do you think of when you think of the word trend? Whale tails. Right. I think that I think of Juicy Couture tracksuits. I guess those were like the first trends we were exposed to, you know, because we were like just becoming sentient. Right. Yeah. I, silly bands, hair feathers, ombre hair. Paul Frank. Okay, but here's the thing about silly bands. Right. Silly bands, in my opinion, more of a fad than a trend. Mm -hmm. I don't think they lasted long enough to be considered a trend. You know what I'm saying? They kind of came and went. Three months. That was it. I think it was longer than okay, that. Okay, well, it was three months in my 11-year-old head. Yeah. And I don't know. I think maybe I was just more focused on the fact that, like, they were turning my arm blue than, like, whether or not they were a trend or a fad. Oh, you know what? I feel like when silly bands happened, that was, like, the first time in my life. Because, I, like I said, I was, like, well, I was actually 10. This was when I was in, like, fifth grade. And that I, like, recognized that silly bands were a trend. I had this thought where I was, like, we're going to remember silly bands as something from our childhood when we're older. And it was a really freaky thought. That's very I evolved, 10. yeah. I, I was, you know, it was pretty evolved, but it was a really freaky thought to have as a 10-year-old. Like, I was, like, whoa. Hot <laughs> girls have existential crises young. Yeah, start so, early. I think, I think that's important. I, one of them that I think was really interesting was like how important the iPhone cases were. Like that was when they first came out because we were like, you know. Yeah. Well, we're, iPhones were novel. Yeah, in exactly. Because now nobody gives a fuck about their iPhone case. It's yeah. just about like how well can this case prevent my phone from getting cracked into a million pieces. Yeah, exactly. After I drop it 87 times. But yeah, I feel like as we came of age, though, there was a really big shift in aesthetics. We went from like 2012 Galaxy print, mustaches on everything, wedged sneakers, which is the, maybe the worst trend. No, high-low dresses were the worst trend. That's true. I did have wedged sneakers, but I did not succumb to the high-low dress. I wore phase. a high-low dress to my elementary school graduation. We're just two halves of a whole, yeah. I guess, then. But yeah, the, the whole swag Kesha subculture, um, like, kind of trans transitioned into the 2014 Arctic Monkeys pressed flowers, writing poetry on cigarettes, like just like American apparel chic. That era. is unfortunately coming back. I know. I, know I, I really that. don't like that it's coming back. Right. Um, Some of those things that you mentioned, though, did overlap, kind of happen at the same time. Because, you know, it, it's not like one thing happens and then another thing happens. Usually there's overlap or there's cultures and subcultures. No, yeah, you're right. I think that depending on what side of Tumblr you were on, it was either like neon penny boards and that weird blow-dried crayon art or like Blackwater and Lana Del Rey lyrics. I think the mainstream at the time was more of your like typical Tumblr girl. Mm -hmm. The whole soft grunge pastel goth thing was, like I said, more of an alternative subculture. Either way, they were both less glamorous than the fashion of the early 2000s. And I think things started to get less glamorous around 2008, 2009. Thanks, Obama. It was both the start of Obama's presidency, yes, but something else happened in 2008. Uh, was it the recession? Oh, my God. It was the recession. Was it the recession? It was the recession. It was the recession. <laughs> I think a lot of the music of the late 2000s mm -hmm. circulates this idea, like the very late 2000s and early like 2010s, like from 2008 to 2013. 
this circulates this idea of like uncertainty almost okay. like they're yeah. all like all oh, the world's about to end or like not knowing how long we have so we should just like dance or whatever like you know till the song like till the world ends by mm-hmm. Britney Spears die young and blow by Kesha Kesha was the queen of this yeah you're um, channeling Kesha today you got glitter all over you it was an accident I know it was but it's cute yeah we are young by fun is another example. Just dance timeless by Lady song. Gaga. It's just all these are timeless. Songs. Give me everything by Pitbull. You're getting it. I'm You're getting, getting it. it exactly. So that brings up a great point about how when people think of trends, we usually think of fashion trends, but there are trends in music, and those, those are just as prevalent. Yes, in fact, I think that the trends in music will usually influence the trends in fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see that even going back to the 1920s and flapper style, psychedelic rock in the 60s. Um, 90s grunge and hip hop and most recently I think is the rise of trap music followed by everybody wanting to be black like white people used to be pretty comfortable segregating their styles from other ethnicities but now that they've realized they can capitalize off of black art they've started to gentrify it basically like this definitely isn't the first time that this has happened obviously white people have been taking credit for black creators all the way back to the cotton gin like that's no surprise but cultural appropriation went on right under our noses with Gwen Stefani uh, when when Gwen Stefani was doing it now though instead of just taking credit for inventing those things it, it feels like white people are just actually trying to like change races well I feel like in a way like ethnicities are almost becoming trends now because uh, you know the world is getting more globalized people are exposed to more mm-hmm. although I do want to say that I think Gwen Stefani in particular was just so good at culturally appropriating that she genuinely fooled America into thinking she was every race at once <laughs> I think you might be one of the few that she fooled personally did not have that experience with her what did I know Christina Aguilera did confuse me but she's a white Latina so yeah it makes more sense but yeah, Black and Latina have been in recently and now Asian is a new Black. Ariana Grande is a perfect example of a race changer. Well, hippies were infatuated with India back in the day. Yeah, and I think that's what I always found off-putting about like bohemian style. It just seemed like a casual appropriation of like all those subcultures. Like, I don't know. It was, it was off-putting. Well, you know, a lot of alternative subcultures do like take and appropriate from other cultures and ethnicities. Yeah, I mean, they want to subvert the status quo. And in order to do that, they feel like they have to exoticize themselves. Yes. Trad goths took a lot from Middle Eastern style. Susie Sue was like the blueprint for like goth makeup. Like when girls do the goth makeup, it's the Susie Sue. I mean, at least like mostly inspired by Susie Sue. And her look and sound undoubtedly inspired by the Middle East. Also, I think we have to bring this up e-girls trying to be Asian. Yeah, and I think the problem with this whole e-girl Asian fishing thing is a lot of the time they use Asian aesthetics to feed into the stereotype that like Asian women are more infantile or like pure or whatever. Like they want to be like submissive, breedable anime girls and like, you know, get more subscribers on their OnlyFans because they're doing like doll eye makeup or whatever. True. So do you think that race fishing is going to become a trend cycle in itself? like go in and out of Vogue the same way that patterns do? I don't think it's exactly in the same way that clothing patterns do. I think it's more like in the way music goes in and out of style because like, you know, if people become infatuated with a certain culture, that's going to inspire fashion and beauty standards, you know? So more of a cause than an effect. So it's more like a driving force for culture rather than like a whole facet of culture. Yes, exactly. It's like how 
in, like now Instagram face is the beauty standard of all women. Mm. Can you define Instagram face for our listeners that might not know? So Gia Tolentino wrote an article called The Age of Instagram Face, which I highly recommend reading. And she describes it as a young face, of course, with poreless skin and plump high cheekbones. It has cat-like eyes and long cartoonish lashes. It has a small, neat nose and full, lush lips. It looks at you coyly but blankly, as if its owner has taken half a clonopin and is considering asking you for a private jet ride to Coachella. The face is distinctly white but ambiguously ethnic. One hell of a description. That is awesome. That oh, is yes. exactly what it it's is. It's exactly what it is. It's basically like Instagram face is like a Frankenstein combination of filters and Facetune and like just being ethnically ambiguous melded together to be the most Eurocentrically palatable kind of racial ambiguity that there is. And I feel like it takes a lot from Russian beauty standards too. Like the whole lip filler, impossible cheekbones, cat, cat eye thing. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring up Russia. Kind of kind of been in the news lately. A little bit relevant, yeah. But before extremely recent events... Um, it's like the thing with Russia, there's been like a weird infatuation with it because it's like, I think the reason for this is because Russia is a white country, like Russians are white people, but it's not really considered part of the West, you know, and a whole nother conversation. They want to be part of the West. That's so a why whole aren't they? Conversation. Why do you think that? Well, it's because I mean, really at its core, you know, the Soviet Union, like they were communist, that kind of, because if you remember, I mean, you know. Well, even in World War II, like, the Russians were allied with the Western countries. But that was just because they decided fascism was worse. Like, but even before the Soviet Union, like, Russia had always kind of done things differently. Also, like, they're not Catholic. Mm. You know, there's this schism. They're Eastern Orthodox. Different religious practices just kind of, like, became a different culture. And Russia continued to expand eastwards. So, like, there's this weird Orientalism with Russians sometimes mm. where they'll, you know, like... Yeah, I, there's a bunch of different reasons, but overall, they do want to be part of the West, but they're not. Um, they're not really considered part of the Western world, but they're still white. Russians are white people. So when you like take on a Russian aesthetic, it's like being like the most exotic you can possibly be while still being white. The whole Russian bimbo aesthetic, like, oh, everybody's like wearing yashankas. But then people got mad and were like, this is cultural appropriation. Which is ridiculous. (laughs) I don't have a problem with like, okay, well, okay. Honestly, I do kind of have a problem with the whole bimbo thing. But I do think that it is a semi-justified reaction to the girl boss thing that's been going on. I, I, like I said, don't know if I agree with the whole bimbo thing because I think it promotes a negative image of us women. Yeah, but I feel like it's, it's more about like reclaiming what bimbo means. Yeah, but of course, like, that whole thing, like, obviously, like, serves, like, a hypersexualized. But like, a lot of the time, like, those, like, especially, like, TikTok content creators who identify as bimbos, like, spend a lot of their time just, like, talking down on men and, like, condescending them in the same way that they're condescended by men. And I think, like, with that aesthetic, I don't know, so there's something a little empowering about that. In my opinion. Obviously, I'm not a Russian bimbo, but I do, I'm an ally. No way. Yeah. You're not a Russian bimbo? I know it looks like that, but... No. no, I'm not. And I think girl boss is cringier. Okay, I never said I was pro girl boss. I obviously it's cringier because it also is it's they just like take themselves so serious. I feel like the bimbo thing is like kind of 
ironic and a joke well, within yeah, a joke. Well, yeah, it's like self-aware because, you know, it's a, a modern day humor. Very girl boss feels like you're like compensating for something. Like, why would you put girl in front of it? It's not even like woman boss. Although that's that's, that's not good either. You know what? <laughs> woman boss. Um, it, it's, it's very like more female CEOs, more female war criminals. Like, Anyways, Russia and Asia. <laughs> more specifically, Japan are both definitely influencing style these days. Oh, yeah. Definitely Japan. Mm -hmm. I think the reason for Russia, Asia, not necessarily Russia, but like Asia, like Japan and Korea specifically, they're, well, China too. They're all rising powers at the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, I know China is definitely a rising power in terms of hard power and Japan and Korea have definitely been upping their soft power in recent years. So are we just drawn to big, strong countries? Like whoever's got the biggest dick has the biggest chokehold on media? In a way. Mm-hmm. Okay. In a way. That is part of the I'm equation. I'm sorry I phrased it like that. No, but it's, it, I mean, that is part of the equation. I should probably say what soft power is. Okay, yeah. Uh, because I was just throwing that word out without saying it or that phrase out. Um, soft power is basically like your cultural power. Mm-hmm. Are you putting out like art, you know, music, philosophy, anime so it's not necessarily like military or economic power but it like it finds its way into cultural power influence and sometimes it can be the most powerful thing and it does end up affecting it like that k-pop girl group luna is like associated with the korean military and like actually uses like propaganda in their thing so yeah i think that they definitely affect each other soft power is almost even more powerful than just like straight up like because you also win the hearts of like people who don't live in your country right if you have a lot of soft power yeah it's like how there's you know that Ramstein song that's like we're all living in America <laughs> that song that. is about like American soft power and how like the entire world is like obsessed with America and like is becoming America because American soft power still is like the strongest like um, is it do you think it holds up Hollywood I feel like people have lost Silicon Valley r- respect listen. It's not a str- like it's not like we used to have like total like not soft India. power, but like Hollywood is in America, Silicon Valley is in America. Like America still has a lot of soft power, like a lot of okay. soft power. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I I what I'm saying about Japan and Korea is that they've been putting a lot of money into these soft power industries. And like I said, in Japan, you got anime. We were talking about K-pop, which did you know that K-pop is Korea's, like South Korea's biggest export? Really? So K-pop. over any like commodities? This is what we're saying. Soft power. Very important. Um, and the K-pop fans in America are like the military. They are insane. Like they yeah. run a tight ship. They are crazy and scary. I'm scared of them. But they're they're a force not to be reckoned with. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like I just, yeah. you know. I respect it. Yeah. They're more unified than liberals in this country. Definitely. Definitely more unified than a lot of groups of people in this country. (laughs) Now, all this stuff is like fine and dandy. Okay. Right. Does not explain why everyone wants to be black. Yeah. They are the most, they are the most oppressed people in America. So like, like we have this soft power thing going on and that explains like, you know, oh, everybody wants to emulate what they see in anime and K-pop. Yeah. It's the oppression Olympics, honestly. Like, White people have this gross infatuation with like people that they don't consider like them. And I think that that's just taken over culture in this new way. Like, 
I don't know, people want to align themselves with whoever has the most social clout. And right now it's black people because they have like more opportunities to actually showcase how like talented they are and white people are getting jealous and want to integrate themselves into that culture. Um, and I think a uh, part of the reason why Asian culture has started to be even more accepted in a mainstream space, not just in K-pop, but like just in general fashion. I mean, we see so much is influenced by that is because there's been like a lot of Asian hate recently. And there's been a lot of like attention drawn to how Asian people are really treated in this country. And people are just like new oppression just dropped. So you think people are kind of like fetishizing. Uh, definitely. Like, yeah, they're kind of like, ooh. Yeah, you don't want to be a race because you're not fetishizing it. Well, like, yeah, that is the no, I know. Definition of that. What do you think the next thing is going to be? Then you know, it's probably not. I'm not going to. No, it's not our place to, to pre predict yeah. what race is going to be in vogue. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> it's heavy hitting for the first episode. We here at What's Going to Happen do not endorse predicting what race is going to be in vogue. Definitely not. No. I guess that pulls us into our theory about how trends directly correlate to our government administration at a given time. Like a Democratic presidency equals more low-key fashion and Republican presidency usually is more opulent. There is a quote from mm -hmm. a 2017 Harper's Bazaar article. Yes, Harper's Bazaar. Called, you always come in clutch with the quotes. You know what? I've got a lot of quotes. <laughs> I've got a lot of quotes. It was called How Donald Trump Changed the Way You Dress Without You Knowing It. So that's what the article was called. And the quote was, since the political rise of Donald Trump, we have seen the prominence of power dressing, arguably a reaction against his sexist behavior and archaic view of women. Take the dominance of trouser suits, whether Balenciaga, Celine, or Stella McCarthy. Stella McCartney. These are looks to make a woman look and feel powerful. Hmm. So girl boss chic. Coincides perfectly with the girl boss thing, yes. Mm -hmm. Trevor Davis, a former consumer products expert, came up with this theory mm -hmm. that I think you'll be very interested to hear, that the height of high heels actually directly correlates to the state of the economy. So he says that the worse the economy is, the higher the heel. But if the economy gets bad and like stays bad, the heels will go back down. That's so sad. That's like the girlies are giving up. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, every trend pretty much is either a derivative of or a reaction to the trend before it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Every period of glitz, glam, camp, and color is usually followed by a more mellow or darker period. We were talking about this earlier when we were talking about like the swag Kesha thing. Right, and then like, the, the Arctic like, monkeys. Yeah, yeah like, definitely. It's like they're bouncing back and forth. Yeah, and I, and I think that that, you know, it can be measured by both the state of the economy and whether or not we have a liberal or conservative person in office. Do you think that it's always been like this or was there like a particular point in time where we all just decided to be more reactive? Well, I think that fashion has always been tied to politics. I think fashion and politics have always been connected because fashion is a very personal way of self-expression. Uh, you know, in the 20s, shorter hair and shorter skirts became a thing because of the feminist movement. In the 30s, Coco Chanel's mm -hmm. obsession with, you know, clean cut minimalist fashion was a direct result of her commitment to Aryan beauty standards and her fascist beliefs. By the way, if anybody did not know, Coco Chanel was a Nazi. And I mean that in the most literal way that you could like, I'm not saying she was a Nazi and that like she was like anti-Semitic. I'm not saying she was a Nazi. She like, she was that admittedly. she was even a neo-Nazi. Like she was a Nazi spy during World War II. Oh. I didn't know that. that you didn't know that? No, I thought that, I, I knew that Coco she was. Coco Chanel was a Nazi. I mean, she helped the National Socialists. 
I don't think a lot of people know that. Well, yeah. Surprise. I knew she had questionable <laughs> beliefs for sure, but I didn't know that she a spy. Yeah. Yeah. She was a Nazi. And I think that that directly influenced her ideas of what looks good, like what fashions, you know, because she was so obsessed with minimalism, like I said, and like clean cut aesthetics, like, you know, and modesty, you know, Coco Chanel famously hated mini skirts. Really? Oh, yeah. I don't know much about like her. I guess I was never drawn to her. She was a Nazi. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. That is fucked up. I think that this has like gotten more reactive. Like I think people will sometimes even try to take advantage of the connection between fashion and politics. Like as consumerism has evolved into something, you know, it's gotten even more reactive. But I think fashion and politics have always been always been connected. So we've always subscribed to trends as a result of general political movements, but when do you think like that clear pattern of darker, more muted fashion and reaction to liberalism and flashy styles like started to correlate more with conservatism? I'm going to give you the answer that I think that ends up being the answer to a lot of the questions of where a modern American culture war struggles come from. And I'm going to say the 60s because the way that young people dressed in that time, like when the counterculture came up, the way that they were dressing was directly tied to their new left beliefs. Like it was part of the protest against the conformity of the 1950s. Um, It's like casual dress, not a thing until the like wearing jeans, like not a thing until the 1960s. You know how like when you see pictures of the 50s, like it was like. Yeah, there's a clear distinction. Clear distinction. And that it was di- the fashion was directly tied to that. Like, you know, they all call it I don't know dirty. if there's been a like clearer distinction since then. You're probably right. I don't think I could think of. Yeah. Like a more drastic change. A more that. drastic change. I mean, the 60s was a very like tumultuous time for many reasons and a lot of things change in the 60s. That's why, you know, when people say, oh, where does this come from? Probably the 60s. Hmm. But I can say that in the 70s, like as you move from the 60s into the 70s, the fashion kind of stayed mellow and tame. Like, I mean, you get like glitzy styles, like you get like disco and stuff in the like the later 70s, but you generally have like a more tame mainstream style and then you have... Well, you have Richard Nixon, who is not, not very liberal. Really? I'm, fu- I'm messing with you. <laughs> yeah. It might come as a surprise. but To some people. But the major, the major, like, reaction to that hippie movement happened in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And you know what happens to fashion in the 80s? It Leg gets warmers. insanely bright Neon. and just crazy because they kind of ramp up the consumerism again in the eighties. Because also in the seventies, the economy kind of sucked. So like, what are you gonna buy? Are you gonna you're gonna go buy like a bunch of like flashy bangly jewelry? You don't mm-hmm. have money. Go get gas. That's half your paycheck. (laughs) So like, you know, in the seventies you kind of stay mellow, but then in the eighties you get the right wing reaction to. The everything that happened in the 60s and you get this insanely glamorous, just like high camp fashion moment, mm-hmm. you know, it's I think, you know, this is the the greed is good mindset. Mm-hmm. But then after the 80s comes the 90s where people bounce back. The anti-consumerist reaction to everything that happened in the 80s is grunge and you get 90s fashion and mm-hmm. 90s fashion is once again more mellow, more toned down, and you get Bill Clinton in office. 
Right. That's and, in the early 90s. Yeah. And then. Yeah. Then there's Bush Jr. and the rise of Y2K bling. And then Obama, as we said earlier, and the muted aesthetic returned in the form of soft grunge, I guess. And then Trump comes in office, super right wing president. And what do we get? The return of Y2K. And now with Biden, I think we're seeing more dark academia, subversive basics, and the return of heroin chic. Unfortunately, there's a lot of pro-Anna content coming back and just like the romanticization of people not doing well. Well, I think that's because apocalypse chic. It's mm-hmm. all apocalypse chic. Everybody, everybody wants to star in the apocalypse movie that they think they're living in. But I think the reason you know, why you have this association is because like conservative presidents will push a more extreme version of capitalism. So you get this air of like not only capitalism, but also ultra nationalism because U.S. we're the like we're the richest country and we want to show everyone we're the richest country. Like that's where to show everybody how awesome we are and how much money we have to spend and how consumerist we are. So we wear like super flashy clothes when we have those presidents in office. Yeah, and like liberal presidents try not to seem like those are their intentions, but in reality, like they're really just presenting more down to earth. They have the same intentions most of the time. So the response to like people who support that what they think is more down to earth is usually more neutral looks that are less reliant on extravagance. Also, I do want to clarify, we are just talking about the U.S. when we're Mm -hmm. talking about this. This is, I don't know if this is necessarily a global pattern. Like, I'm speaking to what I know and, like, we're both American. So I just want to say this goes for the U.S. Might be different in other countries. I also want to circle back to what you said before about how when we think of trends, our brains go to fashion. That was, like, a while ago. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we we think of trends, our brains immediately go to fashion, but there's trends in literally everything. There's even trends in crimes. Yeah, people don't serial kill like they used to. Yes. There's not as many cults as there used to be either. Also, side note, why are all the cults in California? (laughs) Why are all the cults in California? Like, Heaven's Gate, the Mansons, fucking Synanon, Scientology. This is Branch Davidian's erasure. And Ruby Ridge erasure. Yeah. I'm right. You're right. I'm sorry. That was, but that was in Texas, which is also a hot place. So really the point is that the heat melts your brain and makes you more <laughs> right. likely to join a cult. That's what I think. And I think that California, more so than other hot places, particularly brain smogged. You know why I think they're brain smogged? Why? MK Ultra. You know, all those experiments. <laughs> Are we going to become one of those podcasts? Think, yeah, we're going to become one of those podcasts. Okay. No, we're not going to become one of those podcasts. <laughs> I'm obviously joking. However, I, you know, I think the heat might melt their brains a little bit and so make that's them something a you're little to? susceptible to cold. I'm sticking on that to hill? that. Okay. Yeah, I'm sticking to that. The MK Ultra thing, that was a joke. But the heat melts their brains <laughs> and makes them susceptible to colds. That's such an East Coast thing to say. <laughs> I am from the East Coast yeah. and proud of it. As everyone from the East Coast is. Yes. But why do you think that the 60s and 70s were the golden age of cults? Well, we've been talking about how the 60s were a very tumultuous time in America. Mm-hmm. You know, you got civil rights, feminism, anti-war movements. It just seemed like a lot of things were changing really quickly. And people were just looking to anything for answers. Like, I don't think people talk enough about how, like, we got really close to a civil war in the 60s. Like, it was getting very intense. People were looking to anything for answers. And so they turned to cults. Also, Ruby Ridge and the Branch Davidians, both in the 90s, once again, erasure. Erasure. That's my fault. Yeah, but I mean, it sounds like this is very close to 
like when there's a lot of social issues and people are unsure of their place in the future or their country in general, they gravitate towards people who seem to be grounded. Like how everyone wants to point their fingers at a simple antagonist, people also want to seek relief in a figure that seems to have like a precise agenda. Okay, yes. And we see a lot of people being unsure now. And what do we get? QAnon. Mm -hmm. What is QAnon? A cult. It is a cult. (laughs) The reason we have that cult now is the same reason we have all those cults back then. Mm -hmm. Instead of QAnoners engaging in steamy orging, orging. (laughs) Steamy orging. (laughs) I love orging with my cult Ew, please don't say that. That's like a worse word for some reason. No, steamy orgies is what I meant with bearded cult leaders. They just repost lizard people theories on 4chan. More like Facebook at this point, but yeah. Much fewer banjos. I think that's the real problem with QAnon. I think the worst thing about QAnon and the most damaging thing is that there's not enough banjos. Barely any bonfires from what I've heard. Actually, have you ever seen the video of uh, Michael Flynn doing the where we go one, we go all oath? (laughs) That was in front of a bonfire. I said barely, not none. Okay, yes, you're right, you're right. So we have the cults of the 60s and 70s. Now, you know what else there was? There was the serial killers. There was a lot of serial killers yeah, in the 60s and 70s said. that accompanied them. And then that was followed by this. There was a shift at some point. We had got cults and serial killers. So there was a shift. Sometime in the 90s from serial killings, right? That was the main crime. And then we get mass shootings. Then mass shootings started to be the thing that everybody was doing. Yeah. And I don't want to make the same mistake as a lot of people make. They think Columbine is the first real one. But let's not gloss over the first female school shooter, you know? She was important to feminist history. Uh, Brenda Spencer in 1979. Like everyone always gravitates towards Eric and Dylan, but like she walks so they could run. You're right. Yet another example of the erasure of women from history. Brenda Ann Spencer was the first school shooter. And we want to make that clear because on this podcast, we don't tell history. We tell her story. (laughs) We tell her story. (laughs) Brenda might have been the first. We know that. We made a mm-hmm. whole point about that. Right. But it's very obvious that Columbine started the domino effect. Mm-hmm. Or at, at least had more of an impact than what Brenda and Spencer did. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's interesting because Eric and Dylan were actually inspired by Timothy McVeigh, who bombed the Murrow Federal Building in Oklahoma City in 1995. And they, invi- they admired that anti-government movement. Um that, you know, McVeigh was a part of acting out as a response to what happened in Waco. And they wanted to top him. Like, they thought they could do it better, but they respected what he had done. But in reality, they only killed 15 people. McVeigh killed, like, over 160. So, womp womp. They didn't quite get what they wanted. (laughs) But (laughs) I feel like I sound like I support bad things. Um, But, yeah, it's kind of interesting because, like, what people consider the biggest or like the first school shooting on a massive scale was actually inspired by a reaction to cults. So kind of ties into what we're saying about how trends influence one another. So true. I also want to make a note, all of these anti-government movements we were talking about, right-wing anti-government movements. A left-wing anti-government movement would already be infiltrated by the feds. Like, by the time they could even <laughs> get to, like, planning anything, they would just be, like, all federal agents planning whatever <laughs> it is. Like, you know, it doesn't, it wouldn't even, it would not get off the ground. These were all right-wing anti-government movements. Yeah, and Eric and Dylan, they didn't 
identify as like Republicans or anything. They identified as anarchists, but they they had Nazi influenced ideologies, which is just so ironic and, and dumb. But they were definitely not blue haired liberals. We here at What's Gonna Happen <laughs> are very proud to take a stand and argue that Eric and Dylan, not <laughs> blue haired liberals. <laughs> I know it's contra it's a controversial controversial statement but also like I think the number one like 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 thing that's gonna clue somebody in to somebody maybe doing a violent attack like that is like an extreme far-right ideology because that mm-hmm. is what like 95 percent of these mass shooters have in common is some kind of extreme right-wing ideology yeah it makes sense so like I mean that raises a good point. I guess a question a lot of people might ask is why why does this matter? Like what can what can we do about this? Seems kind of out of our hands. Well, serial killers usually serial killed because they had some kind of fetish. Like it was a weird fetish thing. Whereas mass shooters usually have an agenda. And you can see this shift from serial killers to mass shootings correspond to the rise of the 24-hour news cycle and the rise of the internet because it's almost Mm -hmm. like mass shootings are crimes that are designed to be a story, that are designed to be reported on. They're the it violent crime because they're a crime. It's a crime that's all about spectacle. Nowadays, people are more inclined to make a spectacle of their identities and their emotions and, you know, their opinions and like, I guess, are we just adapting to the tools we use to showcase our feelings in the context of crime? If in the good old days, like if we were sociopathic, angry people, we could just kill a girl at a mall or a loved one in the woods. But now it's about quantity, not quality. And it's all got to be uploaded to TikTok. You know what, though? Even the like traditional kind of mass shooting hasn't been happening as much since the pandemic. But a recent development that I have noticed is there are shooters that will vigilante style attack people at protest. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, police have shot protesters forever. Like getting shot at a protest is has always been a, a risk, but it would usually happen by the police. But now you have counter protesters going in and hurting it, trying to, you know, kill or shoot people, you know, and the wrong people. This is a very concerning trend, in my opinion, extremely concerning trend. Because if you have people shooting at each other at protests, you get the wrong people on the wrong day. Civil war. Civil war. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that the reason mass shootings have slowed down and that it's become more individual is that people because of COVID have like started to feel helpless because of the state of the government and they feel powerless and now they're acting out of instinct because they want to individuate themselves and they have just like a lot of resentment. I mean, yes, I think that's definitely part of it. I mean, I think that's a lot of it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people got radicalized because of the pandemic or during the pandemic. You know, you have a lot of time on your hands. So like you can just find some niche political ideology. Hole up in your room and- Get brainwashed. Get completely brainwashed by whoever is lucky enough to strike you, you know, Mm -hmm. at whatever time. And I think that what they're starting to realize is it makes more sense if they're trying to create a big show to show off their ideology. It makes more sense to attack people who are protesting against their beliefs than just attacking random people in movie theaters and whatnot what do you think the next big crime trend is going to be like as a result of that i mean i think when it comes to like the terror we're kind of talking about like terrorism right now and i think with those kind of crimes like more vigilante style targeted stuff in the future i think i also think there's just going to be more crime in general there is because of the economy oh i know you think that the other day i witnessed a murder okay then the day after a woman was killed on my block 
And I have Citizen, so I get like updates and it'll be like man in front of Penn Station armed with hammer. Like what? The other day it was like man armed with needle. Like he was just like injecting people with stuff. Like that is so messed up. And transit crimes are up 74%. So call me, call me crazy. Call me paranoid. Okay. It's not my fault that I'm surrounded by this stuff. I love Citizen. I love Citizen because it literally serves the same function that like Dateline and 60 Minutes used to serve in the 90s. Its primary function is to just scare you. Like it only exists to tell you who in your area is either a pedophile or armed and ready to kill. Like it just exists to make you paranoid. It creates like a roadmap and like an obstacle course almost. Like I'm like, oh, I'm walking, I'm walking down 31st Street. Oh, uh uh-oh, rape. And then I have to go down 29th Street instead. Like that's kind of, it's very useful, but they do definitely capitalize on like the more crimes that happen. So you get more engagement on the site. Yeah, like, I more tried to are. I tried to log a citizen entry once because I saw a fire, which, by the way, there's been a lot of fires recently. Have I you know noticed that? that's kind of, of like a crime. I told trend. you when I was walking to your house, you saw the fire. I saw a fire. Girl, my neighborhood <laughs> like, is falling apart. Like, it's such a mess. Mm. But yeah, I saw a fire and I uploaded it to citizen and they didn't accept it. Like, I literally don't have enough <laughs> you clout. Got rejected I got citizen. rejected from citizen. <laughs> I know. I was like, what do I need to do to get a citizen? <laughs> Sorry, request there up? wasn't a man armed with a needle. <laughs> yeah, I guess it wasn't interesting enough for yeah. them. Changing the subject. As we should. As we should. What do you think some of the other emerging trends for 2022 will be? You mentioned this earlier, but I think definitely an apocalypse chic era is emerging. I think anime influence, subversive basics, grungy colors and styles, steampunk even. That hasn't been like emerging as much right now, but I feel like people are liking that look because it's kind of like industrial and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's relevant now. We've already seen that scene and emo is back. So I think we're going to see an extension of that paired with the return of dystopian cyberpunk. And I think we'll see this in fashion and art and music and television. And I also think the Chola style is coming back. Like, uh, there's a big trend in makeup. The Pamela right Anderson yeah. filter. Yeah, but not only the, like, there's just all these eyebrow thinning filters. Yeah, I think thin people, eyebrows are about to come back. They're going to start plucking. I will not give in. I mean, I have a unibrow. I'm yeah, like not I will gonna, not give I'm in the opposite that. of that. But yeah, like dark lip liner, like all of that stuff. I think that it's all I was of, not implying that Pamela Anderson was. <laughs> <laughs> like, you've already said Gwen Stefani was <laughs> yeah, a person no, of color. I, I was <laughs> not implying that I was just saying like it's that thin eyebrow like yeah that yeah. look which she was definitely inspired by Chola Sound no definitely too. yeah but yeah I think that this is all a reaction to like the glossier like boy brow glossy makeup like you're supposed to look like you're refreshed and stuff I think we're going back to like wearing more makeup definitely which is good because I hated that that was so stupid really the glossy. I don't mind because I don't wear that much makeup but I just think it was like okay it was stupid because it was just like such a waste of money like they're selling you makeup that's not really makeup remember when they sold that perfume that was just supposed to smell like what you smell like yeah like that's ridiculous they were like the, the smell like assimilates to your natural odor that means it's I just like I don't want water. it to assimilate that's the point. <laughs> exactly. You're trying to mask your, yeah, your musk. Exactly. What do, so what do you think? What do I think the rise? What do I, what do I think the next trend is going to be? Well, I think that- You're like little old me. Little old me. <laughs> like I said, I think that the rise of Asian aesthetics mm-hmm. paired with this infatuation with Russia, although I don't know because now nobody even wants to talk about Russia. I think that- like I said, the combo of those two things are going to produce this like weird like techno orientalist style, you know, like they're going to it's going to be like apocalypse chic, but they're like because they already are like, oh, like 
you know, I want to look like, they want to look like a North Korean defector. Yeah, I think people are feeling this really ominous sensation of like doom and like that things are really getting closer to the end than they've ever been. And so everyone wants to dress like the hottest character in the apocalypse that they can imagine. Definitely. I I definitely think that's true. I think that, like I said, everybody thinks they're about to star in the end of the world. They think that the end is nigh and I'm going to be the star of the action movie about it. Mm -hmm. You know? Um... I, I, you know, you guys are not about to star in the end of the world. You're not all going to star in the end of the world. I am. I am, though. But it's more like um, like a zany sitcom. That if you were to star yeah, in it? Yeah, it's a zany sitcom. Because, like, I'm the main character of the zany sitcom. I In an apocalypse movie, mm-hmm. like, I die in the first scene. You know? I <laughs> So then you're not the star of it. No, but you I'm You just contradicted star- yourself. No. Maybe I, if it was, like, Seinfeld, yeah. like a nuclear fallout setting. If they made setting. a nuclear fallout about four people living in New York. Right. That would be your cup of tea. I would watch. I would be the main character of that. I think- I just can't do the apocalypse. I'd like to think that I would survive the whole time, but I think I'd probably die pretty quickly, too. But I, I my goal is to be, like, the dirty, sweaty love interest, you know, with a machine gun and, like, a wife beater. No, no, no. That's me. I can't do the apocalypse. I'm a city Jew. I need, <laughs> I need to live like the cosmopolitan lifestyle that my body was designed to live. Mm-hmm. Like I need to have a two bedroom apartment and a mid-level entertainment job. And that's the only way that I can be fulfilled. You're like a house cat. Yeah, I'm like a house cat. As evolutionarily, right. this is the only way to fulfill my needs. I would rather die than eat a grape nut. So the apocalypse is a no-go. Like what do you think is going to be trends in music then with all this? Music is getting shorter. Well, because of TikTok. And it's being designed to be. Like, music is literally being made to be TikTok sounds. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get, like, vague lyrics. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like like things that have sharp transitions. Like, beat drops are going to be even more of a thing. And, like, yeah, broad lyrics that people can make memes out of pretty easily. I think so, too. Yeah. So overall... What what do you think the bigger picture here is? Like, why why are we talking about this? Why does it matter? Yeah, no, it matters because trends are a reflection of every facet of society. You know, they're not completely fragmented or randomly occurring. And understanding trend cycles can help us identify where we're at. Yeah, and it's important to understand why trends are happening instead of just passively consuming them. Because if you get better at identifying what's going to happen, you can be better prepared to take action if it's not going to be good. I also really want to hammer the point home that there are trends in literally everything. Mm -hmm. Drugs, labor, the economy, military strategy. Trends are just patterns. And we need to watch them closely so we know what's going to happen. And on that note, thank you all so much for tuning in. It was a pleasure to meet you. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at What's Gonna Happen Pod, and you can follow us on Twitter at WGH Pod, not to be confused with at WGH Podcast, which is the What's Good Houston podcast. <laughs> right, it's just pod. And from Moscow to Tibet, this has been What's Gonna Happen. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. 
Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.